Welcome to the Sustainable Sleepover Club podcast, which you can also find on Instagram at Sustainable Sleepover Club. This is a podcast all about the UN Sustainable Development Goals with guest interviews and SDG per episode and of course the sleepover where six friends chat about what we've learned from our guests, share experiences and opinions. We hope you laugh, learn, sob, get active and enjoy. Our incredible guest today is Theresa Rose Sebastian who is a climate and social justice activist. She is also the co-founder of international NGO Re-Earth Initiative. She is originally from Kerala, India, but currently resides in the rebel city of Cork in Ireland. She has been actively working in the climate and social justice field for the last three years, but has indirectly been an advocate for both from a very young age. Her work for social justice has been focused quite heavily around comprehensive sex education, access to education and women empowerment. Her work revolves around three key pillars, education, empowerment and reform. Her work is driven by her love for the land and the people, alongside her passion for justice. She is always looking to network and meet new people. Her catchphrase is, how can I help? Hi Tess, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, how are you? Good, good. Um, so our first question is, how did you become a climate activist and get into all things active? Um, so like I said, like I've always been an indirect advocate from a very young age. My parents both grew up in India um, and they sort of lived off of the land. So from a very young age, I was taught respect the land, nurture it and give back. But it wasn't until 2018 um, when I went to back home to India that I sort of had my spark where I became, you know what, this is the fight I'm going to fight. Like before that, you know, I knew, yes, erosion. I knew climate change to the very basics of whatever I was taught in geography. But when I went home in 2018, basically what happened was that the monsoon rain that we were expecting was extreme. It became torrential. It was more than what we had ever expected. And it ended up flooding the entire state. Dams had to be released. Um, Homes were basically submerged. Livelihoods were just flowing away in front of people's eyes. And I was sort of stuck in that position where I wasn't exactly as um, impacted as those who are living obviously in the the, the front line but my home was sort of I would describe it as an island I remember looking out because I lived in an apartment at the time I remember looking out from my terrace and just seeing everything underneath me in water like the the tree stumps were in underwater the paths were just submerged you couldn't see them the most you could see is maybe maybe the top half of trees Um, which was quite astonishing because like I remember the nights before like looking out into the river going out onto that path and just not being able to see that again the next morning was just crazy to me I was 14 at the time so for me that was like that's it this is the end Um, and there was a lot of rumors going on about you know what's going to happen next nobody in the entire state ever expected this we expected the rains that nourish the land that give um, water to the crops and stuff. But we didn't expect the rains that destroyed the land, that destroyed livelihoods. And, you know, I remember we went out the next morning after the water had receded a tiny bit. And even then, it was up to my neck. Like, I had to wade through it to get to the city. Um, And, like, I was the same height as I am now. And it was up to my neck. My brother had to sort of, like, be paddled through it to leave our apartment. And... At that time, it was just sort of like, ah, oh, this is just, it's like a big swimming pool. I didn't, I couldn't really comprehend what exactly is happening here. Um, and then I came home. I was really, I was extremely lucky because the day that my flight was booked to come home here to Ireland, the water had receded enough that flights could take off again. I know people who are related to me or who are close friends of mine who weren't given this privilege people who lost thousands because they were stranded basically in Kerala for that amount of time because they just couldn't go home. And I came home, I was petrified, I was terrified and I was I felt so secure. But what really triggered my sort of action and my activeness was the fact that nobody else was speaking about it. My state lost 400 people, land, livelihoods, uh, cattle, stock, basically the things that keep people going in my state were just washed away, destroyed, and nobody was talking about it. Um, and something I say a lot is that at that time, what global media were covering were Donald Trump's golf trips. And for me, as someone who came as close to it 
um, as I could safely to the climate crisis. Having experienced that and then coming home and seeing his golf trips be more important than what my state just went through. That was it for me. That was definitely the breaking point. I then had to go and do my own research and kind of find out why is this happening? What is this called and what can I do? Um, And I think from there, it's been something I've devoted every single day uh, of my life since then to. And it's been a journey. There's There's been highs and lows. I've had some amazing opportunities to network to meet people like you here um, and to meet people in power as well. But it, it comes back to my my root love for the land that I live from, the land that I live from, the land that sustains me and the people that made me the person I am. So that's just a, a little brief explanation of where I started. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, and also we explained the term before in an episode with Mitzi. Um, she went into a bit for us, but can you tell us what MAPA is and what the term means to you? So the official definition of MAPA is most affected places and areas, but it just it comes, it has a lot more definition to it than the current impacts of today. It's about the people who have been impacted 50 years ago, the people who have been impacted since the Industrial Revolution, the people who have been impacted since the world that we know it it to be today has been created. It comes back to the impacts of colonization. It comes back to the loss and damage given to these countries. Um, and they were just left in ruins. An example I can tell you is the entire country of India was completely left in ruins after the British left. We lost basically everything. We were left in ruins. We were left to fend for basically nothing. And, you know, people wouldn't consider that as MAPA today because it's not just the climate, but the climate is such an intersectional issue that the roots of colonization, the roots of racism, the roots of sexism, the roots of just um, injustice are so deeply ingrained that you can find MAPA anywhere. It's not always just in the global South. There are communities in the global North that have been historically minoritized and historically pushed to the side, and therefore they are impact, being impacted the most. Um, another example can be seen in South Africa, where the, in, the Black individuals living in South Africa are pushed to the corners where the fossil fuel industry is currently in, in production, while the white South Africans are living in the city where they are further away from it. And you, you would think that, of course, that entire, like Africa as a continent, is a place, uh, is a map up, is a map up place, it's the most affected place but when you look at it deeply because of how intersectional the climate crisis is there's mapa within a mapa there's most affected people within a most affected area and we when we when we define and we look at most affected people in areas we have to look at the climate impacts of today the climate impacts of yesterday and the reason that they're being impacted yesterday and today yeah and it's that's like in one way, the great thing about the term because it can't, it's flexible and fluid and it can't, you can't put people into a box by what country they're in because there are yeah. people in, you know, different situations and different groups and people's individual like identities intersect as well. Um, and that's why it is an important term that needs to be like used more definitely. Um, so I suppose this is like, anyone who's remotely aware of the climate everyone is talking about it um but do you have any plans for cop your thoughts around cop yeah i'll leave you off <laughs> i have been very lucky to receive a badge to cop this year so just a bit about cop cop stands for conference of parties this is the 26th conference of parties it's going to take place in glasgow from the end of october to the 12th of november and basically what happens at cop is that global leaders from all un un um, recognized countries will be attending this COP. Now, this COP is a bit peculiar because unfortunately not everyone will be able to attend because of the lack of passes and also just because the country, a lot of country stability has been like extremely um, shook because of the COVID pandemic and a lot of them aren't in the financial stability or in the right political stability to be attending COP. But what COP really is, is when global leaders come together to sort of agree and discuss what as an entire global nation they can do. Um, to put it to put it in its actual words, it really decides who's paying for climate justice, who's not getting climate justice and who's being left behind. When you look at what actually happens within these discussion rooms, you're shocked. 
I've attended um, sessions where individuals who have been in negotiating spaces have said the stories of how countries have just left other countries aside when it comes to decision making, how global North countries are not willing to take the responsibility for their actions. And that is where you know, loss and da damage comes in. A lot of the reasons why MAPA areas are considered MAPA areas are because the global North has never given back. They've never given the accurate repara reparations. They've never given the proper funds to sustain these um, global South countries. But coming back to your question, my feelings around COP26, this one is quite crucial because we have seen a huge growth in revolution, in resistance and in solidarity all across the world today, especially this year. Anything that goes on in any corner of the world, because of the power of social media, we are seeing solidarity protests everywhere. This sort of global connection, global unity has become a lot more visible today. And that's why COP26 this year is so crucial, because it's no longer hidden what these global North countries are doing within these negotiating rooms. It's no longer hidden what's going on in one country. We're hearing about it every day. There are journalists who are risking their lives to make sure that information such as this is being put out there. And it gives us an opportunity to really sit down and discuss how do we bring justice into our everyday work. The main aim of this um, COP specifically is to finalize the implementation guideline for the Article 6 of the Paris Agreement. So what that basically means in English is um, trying to figure out cooperation strategies, cooperative strategies for the global nations to take together to achieve climate justice. This means um, what can everyone do, the cooperative strategies. Unfortunately, in last year's COP, there was not a decision made. This was the same goal last year, and there was no decision made as to how a global nation, um, a global united community can take action. This year, we're hoping that we can hopefully get an answer for it. How can we bring justice and sustainability into our lives? How can we bring reparations and justice to the global south? How can we ensure that this term climate justice and this term of climate mitigation and, and adaptation are not just reserved for those who have finances in the global north? Um, a lot of these countries in the global south have had absolutely no contribution to the climate crisis. It's, it's always been um, the overconsumption over of the global north um, and this sort of myth of overpopulation, which I want to make sure that everyone here knows is a myth. Overpopulation is not a direct cause of climate change. It's overconsumption of the global north. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it is quite hard because as civil society, we don't get that much of an opportunity to be directly involved in democracy or directly involved in our decision making. Um, and that's why it's really important that spaces like this are becoming more accessible um, to members of the civil society. So there's my rant, but um, I'm hoping again, this is an opportunity to place a justice-oriented network and a justice-oriented structure that no longer puts profit over people. Yeah, and I think as well, like you touched on this, but when we talk about like the divide between like Global North and Global South, like that people don't always seem to understand that that's on purpose. Like the Global North have colonized, they have like continuously, continuously colonized really, because if you don't pay reparations, then everyone is complicit and continues to profit from other people and people aren't like entire countries are not just poor like that is on purpose and like most countries are rich in resources but they've been exploited from those resources um I just want to like clarify that because I think it's so so basic but needs to be said um so yeah you kind of touched on this but what are your hopes and also your fears for COP26? My fears, um, I will start with because unfortunately they are um, the bigger proportion here. Greenwashing, um, it's something we've all seen. And I'll just clarify, greenwashing is when businesses, corporations, governments put this sort of facade, this sort of um, pretentiousness that they're actually going to do something with climate action when the results are actually far from it. Um, we can actually see an example here in Cork City with the robot trees. I don't know if any of you have seen them, but they are on Grand Parade and St. Patrick Street, where it is a wooden box with moss inside it that is said to um, improve air, air to improve the air quality. When we look at it from one side, yes, great, we need better air quality. 
but there are better ways of um, mitigating this. What we're doing is adapting to the issue when it's too late to adapt to it just now. We have to mitigate it. Um, so I'm hope my fear is that this entire um, conference is going to go negotiating, negotiating, and there's going to be no result like there was in COP25. But it's crucial that we get one because with the amount of IPCC C reports, which is the interpanel government, the intergovernmental panel on climate change. Am I missing another one? I think that's right. Uh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, they've released so many reports that are stating we don't have a lot of time. And this year, again, is quite crucial because we have a huge opportunity to build back better, a huge opportunity to really dismantle this system that works on oppression and build one that's built around sustainability and justice. But it's not just enough for me here to sit, for me to sit here and say it. Our people in power need to understand the urgency around this issue. And oftentimes, if you're not directly impacted by it, you're not going to act upon it, which is why we've seen so many levels of inaction. People might think that this sort of term of climate justice has been around for the last four years. We've been celebrating 51 years of Earth Day. The indigenous communities have been raising their voices about this for hundreds and thousands of years. But because it was the minorities um, who were who were being impacted by this and those who are on marginalized communities, no one ever paid them heed. Um, that's my definite fear because, again, there's a huge lack of representation at this uh, conference, mainly because of the COVID pandemic, finances, political and economic instabilities. And secondly, just the presence of greenwashing. There are fossil fuel companies sponsoring and attending this conference, um, which is a huge conflict of interest because you, as a fossil fuel company, are financing and producing this climate crisis, but you're in the spaces that aim to um, mitigate it. I use an example where when the tobacco industry was producing a lot of cigarettes at the time, and the WHO, which is the World Health Organization, had a meeting about um, lung cancer and protecting um, individuals' health, they pushed the tobacco industry out, which to everyone here sounds normal because the individuals creating the problem cannot be part of the solution unless they're dismantled. But why is it today that we allow fossil fuel companies to have a seat at the table when indigenous communities, the protectors of our land, are not given one. So that's definitely my fears. My hopes um, is just seeing the level of revolution, the level of resistance and the level of solidarity that this world, this global community has created over this last year. It's empowering, it's inspiring, and gives you hope that, you know, people are not going to sit back. People have had enough. People have found that empathy and that love for justice within them. And I don't think that like governments and people in power can sit back anymore. Every single eye is on them. Every single eye is on COP26. Like you said, Amy, people who have very little knowledge about climate are talking about COP because of how important it is this year. So definitely the people give me hope, but um, it's those in power that give um, me fear. Yeah, I honestly couldn't have said it better. Like exactly. Um, and yeah, I just think that everything about like, climate change it's the crisis and the urgency and it's been declared an emergency and it's like this acting that's like so negotiated and so slow mm -hmm. and like take your time it's like no no <laughs> um but also what would be your message to everyone listening who maybe like is active now would call themselves an active activist um and wants to get active particularly around cop 26 and also for people who are listening who are not active at all and are just listening and kind of learning not just I think everyone really should know about the climate crisis I would imagine um but they don't they yeah they're not exactly organizing I would say every single one of you has a place in the movement um the climate crisis is so intersectional that if you are a human rights activist a women's rights activist an animal rights activist someone who's just like this is injustice this can't happen Every one of these themes are um, exacerbated, which means sort of increased by the climate crisis. And I know at times it can be really hard to kind of go, I can make a difference, but you really can. We need every single person acting on this right now. We need global unity. Um, and when it comes to people who want to get into more organizing, solidarity protests have so much power. 
you feel such a deep connection with the individuals you are protesting in solidarity for. And it can be really easy to organize just a few friends out on the streets, letting people know that this injustice is happening far away from home, but it's still our duty as global citizens to stand in solidarity with them. And definitely for those who are listening and who want to get more involved, don't know how, you are needed. We need every single type of person. We need all sorts of skills. If you're a baker, pro-activists need to be fed. If you're someone who writes, we need slogans. We need poems. We need pieces of art that inspire and um, evoke empathy within people. If you're someone who can give speeches, who can communicate, we need people out on the streets everywhere talking to individuals about the urgency of this crisis. If you are an artist, we need visual pictures. We need photographers out on the street. What other skills are there? If you're a planner, if you're just really good at singing, we need people chanting on the streets. Every single one of you has a skill to provide to the movement and we need all of you to join us today. So if that's the thing that's stopping you, I hope the fact that I said we all need you uh, has helped somewhat yeah we really do um and sometimes it's literally just your perspective like you were saying because you know a lot of the time the work is left to those most marginalized and sometimes actually most privileged people should be taking on the work and the the kind of perspective and the point of view should be like brought in from those most marginalized um just like if you are feeling overwhelmed by the injustices you are facing um but also like what are your intentions yourself going to COP26 and what are you saying to world leaders? We're watching and we are here for justice, not just action. Um, I think that really has to be the pivotal um, central point of this entire conference is justice because yes, the Paris Agreement is an action. Is it going to achieve us climate justice? That's debatable. And for so long, we've been working around, okay, action. Action is such a passive word when you think about it in the in the terms of urgency of this crisis what i'm hoping um my presence will be there of some of some um way is really advocating for true and genuine justice i want to get people's stories out from cop into the world media i want to basically talk tell people what exactly is going on because if you were to go to any individual and ask them what exactly is cop 26 a lot of them will struggle like I will tell you myself, before last year, before COP25, I had no, no idea COP existed. And I've been in the movement for four years now. It's such a hard um, sort of topic to understand. And I've lost track of the question, but I want to come back to it. Um, world leaders. You know, yeah. World leaders, <laughs> yes. Um, I hope I have an opportunity to discuss with them. Because again, world leaders, they love to tell young people, we're listening but how many opportunities do we actually have to listen to? So definitely I'm going to be advocating for a justice-oriented solutions, a justice-oriented system. And that's if I get the opportunity to advocate. If I, if I don't, I'll be out on the streets. I will be protesting in solidarity. I will be protesting with the people um, to advocate for people power. Because if it doesn't work inside, I'm going to take it outside. I'm going to take it to the streets um, because that's how climate justice is achieved. Thank you so much for joining us, Tess. We've learned so much from the conversation. Thank you for having me. I am a huge fan of the Sustainable Sleepover <laughs> Club, so it's been an honour. Great. Bye. Bye. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Sustainable Sleepover Club podcast. So we're going to do a little introduction. Um, so tell everyone your name, your age and your favourite biscuit. Um, hi everyone, I'm Gabby, I'm 17 and I use she, her pronouns. This is going to start a fight. It's going to start an argument. It's a Jaffa cake. Don't start telling me a Jaffa cake's a cake. It's a biscuit. Thank you, Anna. You're not well. But I don't think this is a biscuit, but like homemade cookies, they're good, but they're a cookie, not a biscuit. So um, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Carol, do you want to go ahead? It's, it's, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, my name is Carol. I use he/him pronouns, um, and I have to say, much to more popular opinion, I cannot stop eating Lotus biscuits. You know the coffee biscuits; they're the most divine things mm. on the planet. Mm, mm, mm. They're just 
they're just so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, they're better than Jaffa Cakes anyway. That's what matters. Okay. I'll pass it on to Anna. <laughs> um, I'm Anna. I am 17 and from Cork and I use she, her pronouns. And I was joking about the biscuit in the introduction, <laughs> but now that we're going, um, we're going to keep going. So chocolate hobnob. Unreal. Yeah. Solid choice. Yeah. Um, and I want to pass it to Ayushi. Uh, hi, my name's Ayushi. I'm 16 from Cork and I use her pronouns. And I'm going to agree with Gabby here. Jaffa Cakes for the win. Thank you, Ayushi. <laughs> Amazing. I, I knew you'd be in my corner. <laughs> Always there for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Amy, uh, she, her pronouns, and I'm 16. And I'm, I, you know what? Chocolate digestive, not going to complicate things. You can't beat a classic. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm going to exactly. go with that. Yeah. Okay. Controversial. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not going to start any riots like Gabby. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, now, what did you learn from everything Tess shared with us and said? Where do you begin? Where do exactly. you begin? I know I said where do you begin but that's because I genuinely don't know where to <laughs> she said so much and it was all so insightful so I feel like anything I tried to say that I learned it would just be a poor like passing off of anything she said 10 times better than I ever will but um I really enjoyed the emphasis on justice that she placed in the whole thing and how even though she doesn't have much faith in um in the system and much faith in politicians her kind of faith and love for the people override all of that almost and kind of keep her going and like that's something that she put into words something that I've been thinking and feeling for a long time like it's so so easy to feel horribly like I don't know disenfranchised Mm -hmm. as a young person trying to be in politics and trying to make a change and trying to achieve justice um but it is the people that keep you going and kind of remind you to have faith in everything. So yeah, I find that really insightful. Definitely. And I'm just wondering, like, why does kind of COP26 matter to like any of ye or like, does it? Like maybe it doesn't. Um, yeah, just wondering. I mean, obviously like... Um, you know climate change climate action and like that entire area is like super important to young people regardless of where they are in the world in mapa areas in the global north like no matter where you are in the world climate change climate action is a huge topic regardless of whether you support it or not and so especially for young people and like nowadays it's becoming increasingly important to see action and seek justice for climate action and obviously like cop 26 is a chance for like world leaders like all the united nations members to or is it 30 of them i could be wrong but they come together and discuss the issues and kind of discuss who's most um affected and who's gonna pay for it and like not necessarily pays and like monetarily but who is paying Mm. like physically who's suffering the most and i think it's just it's important that it is discussed and it's important that they agree in an action and it's important that our voices aren't just being left behind and people who who need their voices to be heard the most aren't being unaccounted for in this situation. Yeah, definitely. And I think even for me, COP26 matters more, not not only because, you know, politicians are sitting around a table, which in this context is definitely important, but like people are coming together for collective action and... I think that like especially as Tess was saying I think there's so much noise around COP at like particularly this one and I suppose like the main hope is that like climate justice is just so loud with like so many people and the media are already being really active and more that the issue cannot be ignored and action and justice are seen as really really urgent as much of an emergency as they are I think like yeah I think that's why it's important as well because it's just it like catapults everything that activists are doing uh, every day around fighting for climate justice. I completely agree. It yeah, to me, COP is more of a catalyst, and it's bigger mm. than the event itself. Like yes, the event is important, as you said, 
because people can discuss ideas and we can come up with concrete solutions. Fingers crossed, as something things. Um, <laughs> but just the whole, I suppose, everything that surrounds it is even more important. Yeah. The general, more, I know, for lack of a better term, awareness. <laughs> I hate that word, but you can't ignore that it has a huge impact on um, on the wider society. Um, and I, I suppose it does cause a feeling of hope in a way. Obviously, you feel incredibly hopeless when all these politicians walk out of the room and we're back to square one and nothing's changed. But you feel so hopeful by everyone that surrounds it and by everyone seeing everybody who cares so much and seeing such a huge, like, I suppose, commotion made about it and seeing just how far that we've come. Because I think this COP in particular is, fingers crossed, going to be a wake-up call. I know we use that word way too often in the climate justice movement, but... um. I think it has to be because sure last year was incredibly incredibly difficult to go to pocket based functionally like it wasn't on um, a lot of people's agendas because it was not element of like the online stuff made it very difficult to have a physical presence obviously um the year before that really climate justice was coming into the forefront of you know society in that moment of like the wider society was becoming more aware and the pandemic really has disrupted everything when it comes to people's daily lives. Um, and I think people are realizing that as we return to this new normal, we have to realize that there is no new normal and whatever normal was, was not working for the majority yeah. of people who are living in the world. So I think this COP is a huge, kind of like everything's coming together. People are fed up, people are feeling disenfranchised, people are feeling like they're not being represented and hopefully it will serve into our favor, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's interesting because kind of, I suppose, along the lines of what you were saying and something you said a little bit earlier, but like, obviously there's hope, there's hopes for COP, but I suppose like there's fears as well that people have to a certain extent, you know, and I know like, I know Greta Thunberg has expressed some skepticism around whether or not anything will actually be done and Tess expressed about herself just there in the interview. And I suppose it'd be the same kind of fear that I have is that, you know, we'll have conversations and we'll have conversations, but no action will be taken. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm hopeful that that's not going to be the case, but I understand that, you know, some people feel like it will be. Yeah. And I think, yeah, like, like, I think world leaders are kind of, they're almost, they are like behind so many indigenous people and people at the forefront who have been educated on this for so long and have been so much louder and yet they're the ones at the table making decisions for everyone and actually one of the questions is how does it feel to have people make decisions that affect you so much like not just around climate change but like governments and also corporations which we don't often think about in this context like it's not just governments um that need to be held accountable at this cop so yeah how like how do you how does it make you feel terrified to be honest um yeah I mean like you feel very small as a singular person when you compare yourself to maybe mega corporation like corporations so big that you don't know their names because they own so many things they have so many subsidiaries those are the kind of people that honestly scare me because I mean sure at least with the government there's well at least a democratic government there's some element of representation there um emphasis on some um <laughs> but yeah, there's just so many players behind the scenes that honestly is quite terrifying to imagine. But um, it's very easy to feel small when you're one person. And I suppose, again, that's a huge thing. A surrounding cop where you feel very much more connected to the movement, you feel a lot more solidarity with everybody yeah. around you and you don't feel as small anymore and you do not feel as powerless. So mm. I think that's something that I've definitely tried to been like teaching yeah. myself again this cop that... Um, it's not always lonely, you know, mm. like it, it, the climate justice movement is way bigger than, than you think. Yeah, I think all the like ripples and connections and seeing how much wider than you the movement is, is so important because like definitely on that question, like I have definitely felt, pow pow you know, powerless and like even overwhelmed and angry, you know, because as you were saying, like Anna earlier, like it's kind of like almost trying to move things in a system that seems so unmovable. Um, but now I think like you kind of understand and see the power that people have and 
we do need world leaders and politicians that represent people and like consult with us and take action but I think in some ways people are more powerful when we act together and like I think that's definitely true when it comes to this particular like fight for climate justice that people are the ones who are going to create change. I think one of like the really nice things that like Teresa kept saying was um kind of referring to us as like a global community and like obviously that's what we are but it's like and like global citizenship and all that and like it kind of cop is almost like breaking down people's identities and instead of people kind of defending what they believe in people are being united into like a mutual understanding and agreement that this isn't like important and this is necessary and like everyone is coming together and like obviously you can feel small when you're just your own voice but when there's thousands and millions of people that are backing you and with the same like they might be throwing their own identity backwards just to follow through with you it's kind of like reassuring and it's obviously it's kind of scary knowing that there are corporations and governments that are gonna probably throw empty promises your way but once like the unity that everyone's bringing together and kind of people attending this is kind of something to look forward to I guess I think like with what Kyle said I suppose it can be difficult sometimes to know motive, if you know what I mean, you know, and like, I don't think it necessarily helps to look at anyone as like the enemy, um, you know, um, I mean, obviously there's governmental responsibility regarding climate change and there's corporate responsibility and there's individual responsibility, you know, but I think looking at corporations as the enemy or looking at governments as the enemy isn't necessarily productive to, I suppose, moving forward, you know, Obviously, corporations play an an important part in our world in terms of employment, you know, in terms of products, in terms of everything, you know. Um, But obviously, I suppose it is a fear that people have is that, you know, um, profit is the main motivator um, and not necessarily justice or um, equity regarding the climate. Um, so, So, yeah, I think that's, I suppose, how I kind of feel is concerned a little you know um concerned that we are still having the same old conversations but also concerned that you know the motive there isn't motive there or that maybe the motive isn't the right motive that should be yeah and in terms of like we were also saying about how kind of you can't ignore COP26 like everyone is talking about it in somewhere or another you may not understand it that's definitely like you know the case but like it you know climate is it's everywhere and people know about it to some degree but I think like I think climate anxiety I don't think really is the right word but like a lot of people I find will like be like I do care I do care but it's so overwhelming and I think I'm wondering like what are the ways that you combat climate anxiety or would like respond to someone in that situation well, I actually had to take a good few steps back from the climate justice movement for a while because the anxiety, I suppose, was so overwhelming. So I definitely encourage that. If you're feeling very overwhelmed, it is healthy and it is natural. You're not, you're not failing yourself and you're not failing a movement by taking a few steps back to help yourself. Um, and you shouldn't feel that way at all. But um, one thing that really helped me was um, attending rallies and just witnessing numbers and numbers of people coming out, even if you're not there physically. Um, just witnessing the amount of people who are sharing the same sentiments as you and feeling part as a, as a whole and not just, you know, a small lonely voice, as mentioned earlier, trying to fight against all these big governments and everything. No, you're a part of a huge movement of people who have similar ideas, who are fighting for justice and um, you shouldn't feel small um, in comparison. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you described, Amy, kind of like that, you know, that you don't necessarily think the term climate anxiety is correct and stuff. And I think it's nearly like another feeling of almost powerlessness, you know? Um, but like, I do get the feeling around climate anxiety. Like I feel, I found that like, I suppose talking to people helps. Do you know what I mean, especially I think if you've got friends in the climate movement, you know, Anna said rallies and stuff, but I suppose, I guess, again, you know, you're probably going to be talking to people who've had similar feelings you know and even if you don't know someone in the climate justice movement and you're kind of feel like you're all out on your own you know talking to a friend or a family member or something it can help you know um it doesn't necessarily always go away but like Anna said it's important to take a step back when you need to you know um and again you're not 
yeah you're not like lesser because you have to you know because you have to take a step back for your own mental health and for for your own you know well-being um you know you're not like abandoning the movement or anything you know um you're taking care of yourself which is really important so i i think like climate anxiety is so so real but at the same time like the term itself was kind of like you know created more so with with say mapa in mind like the kind of over like the anxiety that like they will be facing but it was very much so adopted by particularly like white people um and i think like sometimes mapa are acting to survive whereas we've talked about this before in the podcast but like people with privilege including myself 100 we get the opportunity to choose to act and it you know i just think that that's like something to be conscious of but for me de- like climate anxiety is it's still it's huge and i think like I think action is kind of hope and taking action. And I will say it again and again. And I don't think any of that combats climate anxiety, but I do think the anxiety like kind of fuels that action in some way. But I think what Gabby was saying, like just kind of, it's really amazing to have people who you can talk about stuff like climate change too and being overwhelmed and climate change and all of these topics. But like, we've kind of got something special in that we can still have fun and still like laugh and still, you know, be friends who don't just talk about climate crisis and do, but also enjoy it. And I think like that's something really special. Um, So I think, yeah, like don't, don't act on your own, find someone else um, and talk to people. um, Like Abby said. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Like what you just define in terms of like climate anxiety that we need kind of around, like our feeling of climate anxiety is definitely completely different to someone who's living in MAPA, you know, um, who's living that life, you know, like climate anxiety um, in our part of Ireland, you know, um, and like, you know, um, here's hoping it will continue to be this way, but like, it's not necessarily that you think, you know, a tsunami is going to come in the morning or anything and you might lose your home. Now, in all fairness, in some parts of the country, especially near the city, near the rivers, you know, homes have been flooded, businesses have been flooded. It has ruined people's lives, you know. Um, But thankfully, I don't live near a body of water that large, personally. Um, You know, so like my, definitely like my definition, and there's, there's MAPA like in Ireland itself, you know, again, but like I know that like my definition of climate anxiety and how I feel climate anxiety would be completely different to someone who's literally just trying to survive, you know, and like everything that that entails. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, those are the voices that we should really push to the forefront that need to be heard, you know, now surrounding COP26 so that something is done about it. Yeah. And like, what is all of your like, ideal future if you were able to look at one like if you thought about it all what would an ideal future look like for any of you one of the things i said sorry i think i interrupted someone okay um one of the things i said in like the first episode of the podcast was would be like if everyone could respect each other and just to add to that like if everyone could just stop and listen to each other which i guess kind of comes under the umbrella of respect but like just to be able to stop and listen to one another and have a heart to actually act on that and that would be an ideal future for me i think yeah i think so many so many problems would be solved by if people had like a basic level of respect and also like as eve if she was here would say like it's kind of like listening actively like actively listening not listening to respond or combat something or like put in your input but like to be like actually I don't understand this and I'm listening to your point of view um but yeah definitely Aishi I mean mine could kind of sounds a bit superficial in comparison to (laughs) Aishi's but I think a world where no one is left behind Mm. and I think like especially you know we've been talking about MAPA and we've been talking about the division between the global north and the global south and I think that like excuse me I just think that there shouldn't be a situation where people are left starving while the rest of the world is profiting off of that and so like an ideal word for me would be there be an equal level of 
kind of sustainability and a standard living and a healthy lifestyle for everyone. Plus. Yeah, I think for me as well, like it's equity and, you know, equality and everyone being able to live like the basics of humanity and have freedom as well. Because on Gabby's suggestion, I'm reading The Choice by Edith Eager and like she likes runs through it like it's her story. She, you know, was a Jew during the Holocaust and she like survived. But so much of the time she just talks about choice, like how that is so interlinked with freedom and she can't have one without the other. Like she was she had a whole paragraph about just choosing whether or not she wanted to eat. And I thought like or like when she wanted to eat or what she wanted to eat. And I was like, just the choice to have your own agency. Um was so interlinked to her for her with freedom um so yeah I think like whatever means whether it's human rights or sustainable development goals I think just a justice-centered world um where we kind of really just view everyone as human and value nature yeah definitely I mean I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna sort of hop on to Ayushi's point um which is yeah I suppose which is respect you know um like like I've said I think a few times before like I think when you when you view someone as like I don't know like combatively you know it doesn't I suppose lead to I suppose conversations being had um you know and I think sometimes it can feel like we live in a world where whoever shouts the loudest is being is the one who's being heard you know um but like that's that's not going to help us have conversations to fix things you know and like amy said it is it's important to sit down and to listen you know um and to listen what, to what other others have to say you know and your time will come to to speak but to listen to other perspectives you know and kind of broaden your own point of view that way um you know again not necessarily related to the climate movement well yes it is related to the climate movement but um i would reiterate what I also said from the earliest, from the earlier, I think our first podcast, which was, which was safety for children, um, you know, which is something I feel really passionately about. Um, and there's definitely so many children living endangered in the world um, due to uh, climate poverty and due to climate change and everything that comes with it, you know. So that's that's what an ideal world would look like for me. Yeah. Wow, definitely. They're all really good ones. And also like when like Tess was talking about colonization and patriarchy and how they all like played completely into causing the climate crisis, like it's the same. It's women, it's children, it's, you know, people having to migrate, forced migration and like poverty and like all these systems that were playing causing it, like the oppression that they are causing is being oppressed by the same climate crisis they're caught. Like, it's just so, so interlinked. Um, but for our final messages for this episode, what would you say to world leaders, essentially, as your final message? Um, and for me, like, I've been asked this before, and I would just say listen to MAPA because, like, listen to MAPA and then act on what they've said because, honestly, they have the solutions they have for years. It's plain as day. I don't think we need that many negotiations. Um, we just need to agree. So that's what I would say. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, listen, for God's sake, listen. Um, and more importantly, don't listen with, you know, any prejudices. Listen with the intent to actually act on um, what you're told. Um, and not for the sake of, oh, look, we listen to these MAPA activists. How inspiring. Now go back and we're going to keep ravaging your countries and destroying your livelihoods. Um, no, we can't have that. I'm, what I need to see from world leaders is strong action, listening to those most marginalized and most affected by the climate crisis and um, continuing to actually implement their ideas. Um, yeah, I don't think it's not an option. You know, it's not a... I would like world leaders to do this. It's, I need world leaders to do this um, because otherwise we're all screwed. You know, we kind of are right now, but um, we very much are right now. But I think 
if worldly doesn't do anything, it's you know to distill it down to most, it's most basic. Oh, we're just listen, also gonna go listen. But, uh, <laughs> I have no answer now. So, Gabby, go. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm gonna second and third that, and um, I'm gonna see my messages take action. You know, um, I know it's easy for me to say that I'm sitting here. I don't run a country, um, but um, my message is take action. You know, um and have empathy maybe you know which i think is an important thing for everyone to have anyway but back to take action god damn it do something (laughs) (laughs) exclamation point okay ayushi i would say to start building the ideal future like all of us describe something that isn't completely unrealistic it is achievable but like and just starting at a small scale and building it up it's achievable and to know if you just if politicians and like started building that ideal future the world would be a much better place yes 100 percent um i just thought something (laughs) (laughs) this isn't another one of my stories i swear this is um it's a quote from a very wise young lady who we all adore so much it's at eve lonergan um be a voice not let go (laughs) okay anyways (laughs) mark might be coming for you for that one that may be a mark original (laughs) <laughs> this is the night I get kicked off. <laughs> you get a knock on your door, Carl. <laughs> they both get shout outs. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. And Mark, of course. And Mark, and Mark, of course. You, you never forgot it. No. <laughs> you cut that little bit. <laughs> Add a little voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's also, it was a sheep, not a pig. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. This is a point from an earlier podcast. We were talking about farming and we were talking about animals that release methane gases. And I meant to say sheep, not pig. I'm gonna get that out there. I was tired that evening. <laughs> I meant to say sheep and cows. So I'm sorry guys. Um, you knew exactly what you were saying. <laughs> it's been done now, Gabby. You know, oh, you no. can finally let that rest, okay? <laughs> Great. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready to count us out? I'm ready to count us out. Is everyone ready to be counted out? Yes. Absolutely. Sha. 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 Okay. Um Gokdina Ahin Ado. Three. Slon. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. Also, you can read the entire transcript of every episode in the link to our Google Drive, which you can find on our Instagram. Once again, online youth information chat is live from 4pm to 8pm, Monday to Friday at ymca-ireland.net slash question or find YMCA at YI Young Voices. Every second Thursday, we will release a new episode. But for now, slán!